Welcome to the Fix Your Sciatica podcast, where we meet with experts and clients and discuss how to manage your sciatica and low back pain without the use of medications or surgery. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Mack, and I'm a physical therapist as well as the founder of iFixYourSciatica.com, a go-to resource for pain management. So when it comes to the various different hands-on treatment methods, there is an endless array of various different tools out there that help people manage their sciatica pain, whether it be adjusting or addressing the joint function, or also even addressing the fascia, which we've talked about in previous episodes. But there's this technique called the active release technique, and I have learned a little bit about it. And a lot of prospects and clients ask me what my thoughts are. And I've heard nothing but great things, but that's about it. I didn't know that much. I haven't had the opportunity to take a deeper dive. And so today I actually have Dr. Uh, Jonathan Weimer, a chiropractor who is actually an ART specialist. And so he was kind enough to be able to join us on today's episode to talk all about ART and what its use is. So uh, Dr. Weimer, thank you so much for being on today's episode. Thanks for having me on, Ashley. Good to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you and especially on a, on, a, on a lovely day like this. And so I'm really excited to take a deep dive into active release technique, aka ART. There's a lot of stuff that's out there and I think there's a lot of misinformation as well. So I would love to provide a little bit more clarification on what it is and its applications. But before we do that, tell the guests a little bit more about yourself and how did you get involved with ART work and like where you're at today? Sounds good. So I am, I'm a sports chiropractor in Denver, Colorado. Um, sort of an interesting journey getting to private practice. I've had my own private practice for 10 years now and have been in practice as a licensed chiropractor for about 12 and a half, 13 years. I also have my master's in sports science and rehabilitation. So it's not a come in, get a quick adjustment type of treatment model. We're spending a lot of time with our clients doing some hands-on manual therapy, joint mobilizations, adjustments, and really heavy on corrective exercise. And that's been our model in general. We also have acupuncture massage therapy in our clinic as well. So a very integrative hands-on active movement approach to musculoskeletal injuries. And ART is a, a huge part of that within our practice as well. So uh, I got started, actually, I was very lucky in school. There was an ART seminar when I was just out of my first year of chiropractic school, and it was a good entry point for me to get some more hands-on training outside of what we were getting in school. And I actually had a hip flexor strain at the time, and I went in there and got some treatment. And I'm not going to say it was super comfortable in the moment. It was kind of that good hurt that most people describe when they're getting ART. It's a really common thing we hear is that good hurt. But until you have it, you don't quite know what that feels like. And if you've had your psoas and iliacus worked on, it's not the most comfortable area to have worked on in general. But I had two treatments that weekend, uh, a day rest in between. And I swear it was a uh, life changing as far as eye opening for a young clinician there learning what the hands on approach can do. And especially as a chiropractor, you're you're trained in a lot of manipulation techniques, first and foremost. But having the I think a wider wider toolkit uh, is really empowering as a, as a chiropractor. So having those hands on techniques was important to me. So I went down the rabbit hole ART through school, got full body certified before I even graduated. So I've been using the technique on on patients before I was licensed, you know, working under clinicians and in, in inpatient and outpatient clinics. So I've been doing it for about 15 years now, which is kind of hard to believe, but it's been a, a huge part of our practice along with other 
different types of techniques like instrument assisted work, dry needling, exercise, manipulation. I, I sort of turned my camera off there, um, but I, I love that. There's a lot to unpack um, before we move on. And I think it's really cool. I mean, first off, I want to start off. Uh, I want to start off with the fact that the more chiropractors I meet, like especially folks who've been practicing, we'll say between 10 to 15 years, it's kind of like this new wave of chiropractic care. It's a lot more integrative because I remember when I was in school about to graduate, there was this turf war between physical therapists and chiropractors. And a lot of people were saying, well, chiropractors, they come, you walk in, you get cracked, and then you see them for, you know, once a week in perpetuity. And it's really exciting to hear more chiropractors such as yourself being able to say, okay, well, we have these manipulative skills, but then let's implement these other various different tools to help our clients uh, recover better. And it's, uh, so I just want to say that's really, really exciting. And um, you brought up this concept of, of the good hurt. And what listeners, if you're not watching video, when he said that, I was like, yeah, you know, I started shaking my head, shaking my head yes. And kind of smile. I was like, yeah, there are a lot of people who talk about that good hurt. And um, I think let's talk about the good hurt real quick before we take a deep dive into that. I'm going to share with you how I see the good hurt and the good pain. Um, ultimately, there's people like we have a uh, we go through a myriad of sensations. And one of the big sensations that we're trying to uh, avoid is pain. Um, but in some cases, you're going to be presented with a discomfort um, through either a stretch or a specific technique. And it feels uncomfortable, but in your head, in your body, it feels right. You're like, this is exactly what I need right now. And that's how I classify as a good hurt compared to, okay, I'm getting a procedure done. Wow, this feels entirely wrong. And that is more of like, the, the bad hurt or the things that are going to cause a little bit more harm. So I just wanted to share that. Um, Dr. Weimer, what, for you, when it comes to that good hurt, let's talk a little bit more about what that is. Yeah. So that good hurt, it, much like you said, it's almost an intuitive feeling. Patients typically tell you they'll get on the spot. They don't even know that they have a, a painful area in that you know, zone that you're palpating, you'll come on to whatever you want to call it, you know, a, a, a trigger point or an area of hypertonicity, or maybe it's a scar tissue adhesion, whoever you're talking to and the various um, techniques all kind of have their own verbiage with it, I find, but it's, uh, I often find it's these interlapping areas of fascia and muscular tissue that repetitive motion, we don't get great movement there. And so we'll develop these trigger points or nodules that are typically painful. And pain isn't always a bad thing. I look at it as more of a warning signal that, hey, something's going on here that we should be paying attention to. And when you're able to find those areas, and it sometimes correlates with their pain, it doesn't always have to correlate with their pain. But those light bulbs kind of go off in the patient's head as well. They're like, whoa, this is actually affecting affecting me in the moment as this person's working on me and I can feel some some definite change in the moment. So it is that good hurt. They feel like the reason they're coming in to see you is actually being addressed is another key thing. You know, uh, the hands-on approach to a physical therapist, a manual therapist, a chiropractor, it's very up close and personal. So you need to have that trust. And it's a really good way, I think, to develop that trust and showing the patient, you know, what you're really trying to do for them and help them feel and move better. And when they can 
have that good hurt sensation. It uh, it creates more trust there. And generally that painful sensation, in my opinion, dissipates as that trust factor becomes stronger. Um, a little bit of it's just the warning signals in the brain saying, hey, this is this is not normal. We might want to protect this area. And it's, it's a little bit of a threat. But when you can desensitize that area, the, the good hurt, it's there usually up front, but it gets better after treatments for sure. Right on. And so let's talk about bringing on that good hurt. Um, so a lot of people say that ART actually produces that good hurt. So when someone asks you or I'll ask you, it's like, what, what is ART? What is that? What is the active release technique? What do you tell them? Yeah, you know, I think for the layman and someone that's not involved in, in health sciences in some way or another doesn't have the terminology, I would think of it as a, a hands-on movement-based soft tissue technique. I think ART itself on their website classifies it as a, a non-invasive treatment system precisely engineered to locate and quickly resolve soft tissue disorders. So it can really treat a lot of different um, injuries or diagnosis, but it's really targeted toward the towards those soft tissues. And when we're going through the skin, it's tough to really, in my opinion, isolate one specific tissue. You're gonna be going through the skin, you're gonna be going through adipose tissue, fascia, muscle, you know, there's multiple layers there. So it can be tough, really, in my opinion, by hand to truly differentiate all the time which specific tissue you're palpating, but you're affecting the whole system there and the way that our nervous system works, everything is integrated. So um, the hands-on touch approach is huge there. Um, so it, it involves a, a diagnostic protocol. You know, you're going through um, various orthopedic range of motion testing, you know, neurodynamic testing to try to really pinpoint what's going on and have an accurate diagnosis. Because as you know, sciatica can come in many different ways. So it's not always a disc bulge or, you know, that you have a piriformis syndrome. There's a lot of different ways that um, sciatica symptoms can can be presented from a pathology standpoint. So after you come to that diagnosis and you have a really good idea what's going on, you've palpated those tissues, you've maybe found some of those hot spots, hot spots or the good hurt areas. A lot of times those are regions that you are going to be doing the hands-on treatment, trying to actually then move those tissues through their functional range of motion, both the concentric phase or when that muscle shortened, you're going to then grab some hand contacts onto those tissues and then promote either active or passive range of motion. It kind of depends on the patient personally. Um, you know, they're, how acute they are, how quick, um, how quick they respond to treatment and overall, you know, just uh, their tolerance to treatment. Some people can't do the active component, so we'll do it passively and then we'll gradually promote more active movement. But really working the full range of motion of those tissues is essential. And I, I remember a lot of the technique work in there. I think the biggest bang for the buck came more in those end ranges of motion, whether that was the full concentric or full eccentric phase. That's, in my opinion, usually when we see more of these soft tissue injuries, it doesn't really occur so much in the mid range. It's usually in those end ranges of motion that we have trouble controlling it. We are going to take a quick break to tell you about our awesome new program called the Sciatica Protocol. If you don't have the time to see a professional, but are tired of trying to figure out this recovery on your own, then the Sciatica Protocol is for you. Harness the power of a knowledgeable physical therapist through your phone. It takes no more than seven minutes per day, and it is designed to help you recover as quickly as possible. It is simple to start, and all you need to do is log into ifixyoursciatica.com forward slash the dash sciatica dash protocol and fill out the nine question quiz to begin. The link for the program is in today's show notes. That's a cool explanation. Um, 
active release technique is really more like a system and a way to treat something rather than just a specific technique. And it got me thinking about all those various different tools that we have out there. So say foam rollers, massage guns, like that's even just from a soft tissue standpoint. But then even we're looking at from a joint mobilization or joint manipulation, we have all these tools, but there's a specific place for all these tools. And in order for us to determine where and when to use these tools is through the diagnostics, the ability to gather information. And I love the fact that you talked about, we have to figure out what's going on first before we implement any of these techniques. I think one of the big challenges that a lot of say, some practitioners out there, I'm not pointing at anyone, but I think when people look at sciatica or in some cases when they're looking at sciatica, they say, all right, sciatica pain, let me go ahead and do these various different tools because of just the fact that this patient is having back pain with pain rating down their leg. Let me go ahead and do this shotgun approach. I have this hammer. I think that everything here is a nail. As compared to your experience and what you've been doing is being able to say, let's gather some information. Let's figure out what the cause is, right? Let's figure out why this is happening. And then let's implement these tools to one, address those causes. And you probably do this as well. And let, let me know if I'm assuming wrong, but you're implementing a, a hands-on technique through ART. And if it works, awesome. Let's go down this, this, this rabbit hole, this track of addressing this specific issue. If it doesn't work, okay, let's change our approach because maybe we're looking at something a little differently. Um, that is what I've gathered from the, the proper use of ART and also some someone just such as yourself when you're describing, look at, let's get an idea of what's going on and let's implement these various different tools and techniques. Does that sound about right? Or is, am I making a correct assumption on that? 100%. I think the diagnosis, you know, a proper history and consultation, just listening to the patient is probably the most important thing, I think, of being in a clinician. If you're not listening to your patient, you're really not going to have a clear idea of what's going on. So if you're skipping that step, you can be great as far as hands-on technique, but I highly doubt you're going to get the same clinical results as someone that actually sits down, listens to their patient, and has a really good idea of what's going on, first of all, and, and what their goals are. I think that's really important when it comes to the patient and really looking at them as, as an individual and not being cookie cutter. And that is what I appreciate about ART is there's a ton of different protocols that are very specific for each muscle group and nerve. And um, it can get very, very detailed. But if you don't know how to properly diagnose that and you're just throwing it against the wall, you're not going to get great results, in my opinion. Sometimes you might, oh, cool, I hit the I hit, I hit the silver bullet there on that day. But it's just a shot in the dark if you don't have good diagnostic skills. So I think ART is a piece of the toolkit for a good clinician, especially a good clinician that likes to do manual therapy. There's a ton of other um, treatment techniques out there that I've taken and a whole bunch that I still have not taken. And I think as long as you can apply the right treatment method at the right time and um, for the right person, you're going to get good results. But if you don't know when to apply those specific techniques, it's a shot in the dark and your clinical results are going to be minimal um, to mediocre at best, in my opinion. 100% agree. We got to listen. We got to get our information. We also got to build that trust with the patients that we're working with. So I really appreciate it. And thank you for sharing that with us. And so let's talk about, okay, you have these techniques, you have this thought process. 
instead of say going down deep into the thought process, because it can get a little convoluted and might confuse some of our listeners, but I think it is important for us to talk about what are some of the applications um, to uh, of ART to people experiencing with sciatica. So I was thinking going into this conversation, we can talk about, all right, well, if we're doing, let's say, for example, if we're doing soft tissue work, um, what are some of the common patterns you see with people who are dealing with some, some, some sciatica or dealing with sciatica, not some, but dealing with sciatica? You know, I'd say in our office, a lot of our sciatica patients, you know, pain is promoted with with a lot of seated or repetitive seated um, positions throughout their day to day life. Unfortunately, that's a lot of our <laughs> population. They sit in front of the computer and work all day. It's just the way our society is now. So so that's a big um Probably number one that we see in our office with sciatica is a lot of repetitive loading in a seated position. Um, sometimes, though, it can be promoted from just repetitive motion, repetitive use type of injuries. And we'll see it a lot in our runners as well. And it can be provoked with activity. And maybe sometimes it's not as aggravated with the, a seated posture. So then that's where it's really key being able to go through some of those diagnostic protocols to pinpoint what tissues may be impacted because it's not always a disc bulge it's not always piriformis syndrome sometimes it's a little bit of both even too and you have to be able to tease that out so i think the the key thing with us like we talked about before is the proper evaluation to really pinpoint what's going on there but um you know classic sciatica pains you know the sharp burning pain from the, the buttock down the hamstring into the calf and um it, it's generally painful and the way that we know that we can provide some relief with ART is going through the testing and then test and retest. Did we actually make a change with what we're doing? That's the nice part about ART is you would expect to see in session change so that you can know that you're actually working on tissues that are going to affect some change. Cause I don't want to waste my time or the patient's time to sit there and be like, we're going to do a hamstring stretch, you know, for the next three weeks and nothing changes, whatever, um, with your sciatica symptoms. It's probably not a good entry point to provide some pain relief for that patient. So I think that's the coolest part about ART is having the, the in session feedback, you know, do three to four passes, retest. Okay. Wow. I have more hip flexion or like knee to chest range of motion for the patient without the sharpshooting pain. We made some objective change in a setting. So we're going to keep going with that treatment mode and, and um, you know, follow that whole nerve tract and muscular system, myofascial pattern to, to try to give them as much relief as possible. And then also give them some things that they can be doing on their own at home because ART isn't necessarily feasible for the patient to do themselves, but you can teach them, you know, some little tricks that can mimic some of the, the same type of techniques or movements that you do with active release technique. How cool is that to be able to experience some changes in a, in a real time point? Um, and that's where I think us as clinicians, I think that's where the greatest amount of value we can bring because truth be told, people can just follow a PDF of exercises, but if no one can, but uh, if no one, or if they're not told to say, how do you feel as a result of this technique? We have no idea in regards to is this treatment, is this exercise, is this stretch even effective in actually treating the the issue in itself? And so I find it so fascinating. And I remember my first clinical rotation or like early on in my career, I was kind of so overwhelmed by all the information that was out there that I didn't necessarily have the opportunity to say, okay, you're coming to me with this problem. Let's try one thing see what it's like as a result. It was kind of like this whirlwind of information. But then as I gotten older, got more experience, 
I understand like the huge value in regards to what it is in regards to how can we make some true changes immediately, whether it be an improved range of motion, improved strength, improved pain, uh, and improved pain presentation. And so that test and retest is significantly valuable. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because of the fact that, uh, uh, like it just says it like before, people are saying, oh, you're gonna have sciatica pain, do these 15 different stretches. And then you just do them for six weeks. And then you ha- the patient has to wait for six weeks to tell their practitioner, this isn't working, right? And, the, and, and in some cases, could they be a slower responder? Absolutely. But for the most part, we should be able to generate some sort of improvement or, or even a trigger as well. Because those triggers are things that when people leave our offices feeling a little bit worse, we also get some good information. As frustrating fr- as frustrating as we seem, we do get some good information from whenever we say flare someone up a little bit as well. Um, yeah, so uh, very, very cool. So when it comes to um, ART and the thought process, um, you also brought up this concept of Patients might not necessarily be able to do ART at home, uh, but you're giving them some tips and tricks to be able to kind of repeat that. So uh, could you give us a couple examples of what that would look like, um, if that's okay? Yeah, for sure. Um, maybe I'll just go with one of the, the most common areas that I see ART being used in sciatica symptoms. And, you know, that's the working on the, the deep hip rotator muscles. So your piriformis, superior, inferior, gemelli. If for the, the lay person, those are the really deep, short muscles that attach your, your pelvis and your sacrum to your femur and helps your hip rotate and move and really keeps that joint in a nice centered and congruent position there. But we need good muscle balance and opposition there. But the sciatic nerve also depending on the person. We know there's a not a lot of anatomical variability between humans and not every person's body is built the same. So some people might have a nerve that goes through a piriformis or lies underneath it or sits a little bit deeper and actually goes through or on top of the gamelli muscles. So um, it's a common area and especially with the seated population to just have a lot of deep seated muscle tension there and potential for um, restricted or limited mobility as that sciatic nerve passes through or around those tissues. So um, that's a common area that we're hitting in office with the hands-on technique but the way that we'll teach patients to utilize this on their own at home is you know maybe using the foam roller or a lacrosse ball or a softball or some type of mobility ball you know getting in on those tissues whether they're leaning up against the wall or sitting on the floor maybe getting in and out of a piriformis type of stretch or the figure four stretch as they have some of that mechanical compression on those tissues it's not quite the same but it's about as close as you can get in my opinion on your own to to doing some of these techniques for home care and that's our goal we don't want to see patients a whole bunch and for for some people they're like that sounds stupid but for us like we, we have an ego that we'd like to get you feeling as well as possible as quick as possible and if it's going to require some home care, which most cases do. Let's absolutely do that and give you some things to empower movement and get you get you back out there doing whatever it is you want to do quicker. So that's probably the most common thing I'd say we use that and high hamstring area. As we know, the sciatic nerve passes right in between and underneath those tissues as well. So that's another area that will almost like you're doing some nerve flossing as you're pinning down those muscles, whether you're, you're seated or um, once again, like leaning up against the wall or finding some ways to get creative with that, with applying some, some actual manual compression with those lacrosse balls, mobility balls. Awesome. Yeah. Reinforcing because truth be told, I mean, if they're coming in working with you or even working with me, you know, we're working with them 45 minutes to an hour, a couple times a week, 
that's that's a very very small percentage of what it's like outside of the clinic and so being able to re reinforce uh those positions are, are going to be crucial to be able to allow us to to maintain those changes over time um you brought up a couple times uh during the explanation of art but this concept of tight muscles um and uh and so yeah the concept of tight muscles and a lot of people will come to me and they're saying, oh, uh, so-and-so said X, Y, and Z muscles are tight. And I do notice that there's a little bit more muscular tone. Um, from your endpoint, how would you describe a, a tight tissue, tight muscle? And what are some of the common causes as to why a tissue or a muscle could get tight in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, most common things we see in our practice are repetitive motion or you know, overuse type of injuries. So if you're an athlete that is a runner and you're always using exercise or running as your mode of exercise, you're likely going to be loading up certain tissues more than others. And over time, as we exercise, we're breaking down those tissues a little bit. And that's great because then we can build them back up through the you know inflammation process. But sometimes those tissues don't heal and the muscular fibers don't quite line up exactly how we would like to see them. So we'll have this, you know, kind of crisscross matrix of tissues, almost like I think scar tissue gets a little bit overused because it's not always that like dense scar tissue that people think of if you had a big surface level skin cut. But you can feel a different density in that tissue compared to some of the other um, normal functioning muscle tissue around it. So um, I think a lot of it can be a delayed healing response from repetitive motion. Other times, I think it can also be related to these trigger points in the muscles. And for me, most of the time, I consider trigger points a good sign of a properly functioning nervous system. It's our brain saying, hey, we might not have the proper strength or coordination in these areas, and we can apply a trigger point, give us a slight little bit of functional stability around that joint complex to let our brain know from a proprioceptive standpoint that, no, it's safe, we can move, you're going to be okay, it's not anything that's of great danger. But but when those patterns perpetuate over time, over time, then those trigger points, in my opinion, don't always fully relax. And then we'll start to be able to palpate more of those latent trigger points that might not even be tender anymore. But the holy cow, we have some dense, tight tissue there. So those are the, the two most common areas I think that I see in our office or more of the active trigger point of a good functioning nervous system that we can use a good intervention like ART to promote uh, a better healing response there and getting those muscle fibers to kind of line up in a proper manner. Other times it can be that repetitive motion, repetitive use type of um aggravation of those tissues but repetitive motion or repetitive use that's uh, sitting like i've already said that's for me probably the biggest thing i see in our office for these repetitive motion or repetitive lack of motion or those seated postures you know people sit in a slumped posture get a whole lot of low back tension posterior chain hip flexors tfl all that stuff so um that's that's the most common pattern probably you know 50 percent of our patients are sitting in front of a computer day-to-day -day life so just those the position we spend the most time in a lot of times promotes some of these muscular and fascial findings that we have. Right on. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I, I think, uh, and I love the fact that you brought up this concept of a normal functioning nervous system. A lot of people, or not a lot of people, but if you ever go on Google and you just search various different exercises for sciatica pain, they're often talking about like, hey, stretch out this muscle or massage this muscle. But it's presenting in a way where muscles and skin, they're just inert tissues or tissues that aren't active or dynamic. But the truth be told, everything in our system is operated or managed by our nervous system. And so 
to be able to have that and say it's a it's a normal functioning nervous system. Uh, I love that, and also it kind of bring, lowers the threat, uh, the perceived threat that we get from the pain itself. Where it's like, okay, this is a this is a very sensitive area, and you're saying, you know what? It's it's a very sensitive area, but it's also that allows us to say that it's functioning normally. It makes people less scared and less anxious about the condition that they're feeling in because not only are we experiencing pain from protective mechanism, but that's going to drive our behaviors. We might experience some anxiety. We might even go down the rabbit hole, be able to say, uh, we we might even go down that rabbit hole saying, okay, well, I'm in this pain. Oh my gosh, I'm broken. Everything's wrong with me. And then we go through this cascade of emotions that actually heightens the pain itself. So you're providing this environment with hands-on treatment to be able to provide not only just a mechanical change with your hands or your elbows, whatever you're using uh, from a muscular standpoint, but also this uh, this safety standpoint that actually allows our nervous system to calm down. So I really appreciate that um, in regards to, you know, the description of what you're talking about in regards to ART. And so um, it's a use of, so- it's, it's soft tissue work, but applied in a uh, very important and dynamic manner. And there is a way of thinking when it comes to treating uh, a patient. And so ART is a very helpful. I think that there's a lot of benefits to it. And we just described it. Um, unfortunately, there are some cases that one tool is not going to help everybody, right? So let's talk about the folks, the people out there where ART might not necessarily work for them. So what are those things that you learn in regards to, okay, this person's presenting with X, Y, and Z. I don't know if this hands-on modality could be helpful for them. There's there's a few cases for sure, like a real, a super acute disc case. I'm generally not going to use ART as my first entry point. Going through a, an evaluation, we're probably going to be going down the McKinsey rabbit hole a little bit more and trying to get them to centralize or have some type of palliative effect short term here uh, with a little more like passive modalities to start potentially. Just ART sometimes can be a little bit of a shock to the system, like we said, even though you can establish that trust with the patient, but sometimes it, it might be too much too soon. So I might hold off a week or two until really implementing some of those protocols on a, a super acute disc case that is causing sciatica. Other times, though, if we go through the diagnostic um, uh, algorithm and we find that actually we're not provoking their pain and we're providing some relief and it is an acute disc case, I'll use it. Um, But that's where going through the diagnostic process is really imperative to know if I can or cannot use it because there's no absolutes, in my opinion, um, because I think you can help with all different types of tools if applied at the right time. Um, another area that I think can be tough from just a strict ART standpoint is if you have mechanical compression on the spinal cord on a nerve root that's you know causing motor loss, that person's typically going to get some other imaging done to figure out where that compression's at because do we need to get them medication and injection or is it an actual surgical consideration? So that first and foremost, if we have motor weakness or a loss of muscle function, I'm going to want to get some other diagnostics done to make sure that we're doing the right thing for the patient up front. Um, Some other cases that it can be helpful maybe, but I often find it's more short-lived for the person as if they actually have some anatomical differences or variances. You know, if they have stenosis where there really is not enough room for those nerves to move, I'm not going to make those holes bigger. I might be able to give them some short-term symptomatic relief, but it's not going to cure the function or the, the structure of their spine or where those nerves are exiting out of. So I think if you're up front with a patient and let them know, you know, if they're 
say, hey, I don't want to have surgery. I want to exhaust all options and try to go a conservative route and get stronger and exercise. And cool, we'll be a, a part of that team for them. But setting the expectation that this is probably going to be short-lived, you have this, that, and the other going on that's going to limit us. If the patient knows that and they still want to move forward with the treatment and they are getting results from it, I'll absolutely do it. But I'll also know there might be some limitations with those cases like a bony impingement or stenosis of the spine. That makes a ton of sense. I think it's important for us to be able to identify, you know, who would be a good candidate to receive this treatment or not. And you're absolutely right. Going through the diagnostic route and getting the inf necessary information, you can then determine is this person going to be someone who would benefit from ART or any other tool? Um, and so I, I really appreciate that. And so for the listeners out there who are hearing what you're saying, Dr. Weimer, in regards to, okay, I think ART could be helpful for me, but I don't know how to search. Cause like right now you Google physical therapist, chiropractor, like in, in our town, or there's like, there's a physical therapist in every block, right? Chiropractor in every block as well. There's a lot of, a lot of choices out there. So when it comes to trying to find the right practitioner for them, what are the best ways for them to, to find that practitioner? I think going to the active release website is a great tool. I use it a lot, especially for patients that are coming to us from out of town, they're passing through Denver, or we have patients that are moving out of Denver and going to another location. It's one of the first places I check and I'll search their zip code, go onto the activerelease.com website, throw the zip code in there, pull up a few docs, give them a couple names, um, tell them to do some research on their own. So I think it's important for the, the patient to find the person that they want to work with, but give them a couple options and, and send them on their way with that and tell them to reach out with me if they have any other um, questions about that. I think that's the best, uh, best way to find an active release provider uh, easily is just go into their website. The nice thing about generally with ART practitioners is it's a very similar mindset. <laughs> they want to get people well, get people well quick. They're going to have a, a usually a toolkit of tools within their arsenal that if ART is the right treatment, they'll use it. If it needs to be something else, then they're going to use what's going to be in, in the patient's best interest. It's not going to be a cookie cutter approach. Anti-cookie cutter approach. Cookie cutters are great for chocolate chip cookies, <laughs> not the greatest when it comes to treating pain. And so for the folks listening and they're like, yeah, okay, that's that's really helpful. Uh, listeners, I'm actually gonna be putting the ART website into the show notes, so you can go ahead and check that out. But then also, Dr. Robert, for the listeners who are in the Colorado area and say wanna work directly with you or have some questions specifically for you, uh, what's the best way they can get in touch should they have any questions or wanna hear more? The best way to get in touch would be to go to our website, sportandspinehighlands.com. We have a contact us page there. You can put your name, contact info, and any questions you have, that'll get routed to any of our providers to answer those questions for you. If it's ART specific, uh, it'll probably get routed to me at our office just with my uh, 15 years of experience in it. Uh, if you find us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Highlands Sport and Spine is the easiest way to get a hold of us. If you would rather send an email, you can send that to Dr. Weimer at sportandspinehighlands.com. Beautiful. I want to put all that information to the show notes in case that you didn't have the opportunity to write that down. Dr. Weimer, thank you so much for your time today. This was really enlightening. I learned a lot um, and I am actually, I'm very, very confident that the listeners have learned a lot as well. So thank you again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Ashley.
Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider.